0: Welcome back. This is a continuing podcast series by Dentons on healthcare issues, uh, international healthcare issues. Uh, my name is Sam Maisel. I'm the director of distressed healthcare for the Dentons US LLP. With us today uh, again is our friend Daniel Fritz from Germany, talking about European healthcare issues. Joining us today for the first time is Kim Carey from our Oakland office. She is the chair of the United States. Healthcare Group, and Lewis Robichaud, who is a Senior Managing Director at Ancora, based in Dallas, but working nationwide, uh, and Lewis and Ancora are old friends of Denton's. Uh, we're going to talk today about recent legal trends and issues uh, facing the healthcare industry, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kim. Thank you, Sam.
1: Um, So today we're going to talk about some of the legal issues that are related to um, Medicare and Medicaid payments, how that impacts transactions, and particularly in bankruptcy, and look at some of the recent important uh, legal issues and trends that we are seeing. To kick us off, we're going to turn this over to Daniel Fritz, who's going to give us his thoughts on what he's seen um, internationally and, and specifically in Germany.
2: Yes, thank you very much. I'm happy to contribute to that. Uh, and indeed, uh, we also see uh, a couple of legal issues that are uh, indeed impacting um, the, the situation for the healthcare sector, in particular for the hospitals and for the care homes. Uh, Medicare, uh, what you call it in US in in, in Germany, um, we, we talk about social security um, agencies. These are public entities, but we have a lot of them. Uh, locally and will spread uh, around the country, uh, and those are financing the operational costs of hospitals and care homes. Um, when when the Corona uh, pandemic hit, also Germany, um, it, it was clear, in particular for the for the hospitals, at the first instance, that they would economically suffer from the Corona uh, problems because they had to. Um, give space uh, for potential corona patients and we're no longer able to to have the more lucrative operations uh, in, in place uh, for that with kind of a hot needle. It was on a rescue a rescue package with subsidies for those hospitals, but also it was also saw on with same hot needle, a rescue uh, package for subsidies for the care homes. This was then financed by the federal government, whereas normally um, the money is spent by the social security agencies uh, comes from the German lender, from the individual states of of Germany, because we are like the US, we are a federation Mm -hmm. of of lender. Um, And indeed, um, it was then criticized now in the meantime by the German federal accounting court who is overseeing the spending of the governments Um, that in case of the hospitals, um, these state aid were planned to to cover the losses, in particular by by giving space and and, and possibilities for the hospital to to take care of the corona patients. But indeed, it turned out that the the whole system is already, for other reasons, we talked about those reasons in the last podcast, under duress and stress, and insofar, um, this this Corona state aid to the hospitals were allegedly then misused uh, for for covering the overall bad situation of the hospitals. And as one of the consequences, this state aid is no longer available now in Germany. Um, and uh, but uh, now the hospitals suffer from increased energy prices caused by the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Um, and is suffering from not having enough uh, employees and o- overall the inflation. Uh, on the other side, they no longer have the effect of, of this uh, public spending for 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 their losses, uh, and therefore we see more and more hospitals going into the insolvency. The same situation we also see now for the care homes, um, and here also we saw criticism from from the federal accounting court uh, because these subsidies were granted for the care homes uh, because they also had uh, losses caused for reasons that not so much patients were coming from the hospitals to the care homes. And also people were reluctant to go to care homes because in the beginning of the pandemic, we had a lot of death cases in these care homes. So people were afraid to go there Um, and to, to protect this part of the healthcare industry uh, the idea was to give them a lot of subsidies also funded by the German state um, and uh, with, uh, with a system that would only have uh, a limited review of these spendings later on. So the idea was only 10% of the money given should be reviewed, but now it turned out uh, that uh, more than 40 millions of these money spent only for the 10%. And and we talk about billions that have been spent in this sector from the state, um, so that a several millions amount was was given not for good reason, and now this is also causing troubles for care home providers in Germany, um, as those who are still trying to get subsidies paid struggle now because now years later um, the, the the social security agency have a much more stricter look. At, at, at these uh, applications for subsidies. You don't get it. They have planned for it the liquidity planning. And so we see in this sector also a lot of insolvencies. Uh, we had some court decisions here from so-called social courts. that some time-barring uh, ideas that the social security agency imposed in the systems are not, are not working because they were imposed by these agencies and not by federal law. Um, But nevertheless, this really does not really help with the problem. And now we have really a big wave in Germany. Uh, You should see that uh, four of the 10 big care home providers who cover more than 10% of the market are now already in insolvency. Um, And and others may come. We're also uh, providing assistance uh, to such care home uh, providers already. And then they all suffer that they do not get the corona aid from the state. Um, they suffer for, for the for the cost we I just talked about. And and uh, prior to corona, these care homes were an emerging market because people were expecting that from the demographic effect, uh, we will have a high increase of, of numbers, but indeed, because of corona and other effects, um, this increase of, of patients. Is not coming as it was, so we will see probably also in this healthcare part with the care homes, a lot of insolvency cases. In last month, we had two hundred fifty filings for health, uh, for healthcare care home providers uh, in Germany only. So um, this really shows um, that we may have good ideas to to, to protect this industry with state subsidies, but in practice. It was very much a bureaucratic process. It still is, and now now we have to pay the price for that. This is uh, this is what we see here in Germany.
0: Daniel is is the are these filings caused primarily by external economic forces, the labor costs, inflation, um, you know, energy costs because of the war in Ukraine, or how big a factor is the uh, you know allegations of fraud and the efforts to collect monies back from the uh, state governments. Well, it's it's it, it's a toxic mixture of everything.
2: So so we they, they, the costs have increased. Um, also, then the 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 the, it, the, uh, the social security institutions are a little bit reluctant to to pay out outstanding subsidies, and also we have in our Social security system: the the concept that the care home providers and the hospitals and and the social security agencies every year agree on 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 the on the money they receive. Yeah, these are fixed and and fixed uh, fees they get. Um, and what has been agreed in the past to increase the, the spending to these healthcare providers was not in line with with the cost explosion we saw based on the inflation and all these problems. Um, So so also in these days, they are are now in discussions with the Social Security providers, what we call Medicare, that they pay pay higher prices for for, for the services to the patients, but, but this price increase is not in line with the cost explosion. That's one of the key problems, and together with with outstanding subsidies, this 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 messes it all up.
0: Yeah, it's 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 striking. We talked about this before, but um, it is striking that despite how different the healthcare systems in Germany and the United States are, the issues you just described are are exactly what we're seeing in the United States. We're seeing inflation, labor cost greatly increased labor costs. Um, you know, patient censuses that still haven't recovered, and these efforts to recover. I mean, Lewis and Kim, you probably know this, but you, I'm sure you know this better than I do, but but the federal government also is now, you know, bringing either fraud cases or or just recovery efforts, thinking that the money they pushed out to deal with the pandemic in the U.S., you know, now they're catching up with the audits. Is is that what you're seeing, Kim?
1: Yes, we are starting to see much more focus on what that money was used for, making sure that they can account for where it went. Um, I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot more of that, actually, Um, because there was a lot of money that was pushed out during the pandemic.
3: Yeah, Sam. This is Liz. From we're seeing the same thing too. And from some of our perspectives, um, this was so easy to foresee when when they, the government just started pushing money out indiscriminately, knowing that um, uh, I think I think the federal government knew they were going to find themselves in this position, but they made a choice at the time that it was more important to mm-hmm. push money out to save the sector and worry about recouping it later. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you're seeing today. How was it
2: for foreseeable in the US in Germany, it was really an invitation to ask for more than that you are deserved, because it was already announced in the beginning that they only will review 10% of the cases. So I think this was an invitation by the government to, to collect as much as possible. And how was it foreseeable in, 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 in the
3: US? Uh, this is from my perspective, the speed at which Money was pushed out. The lack of any verification, almost any verification, mm-hmm. about whether providers had a need, uh, the character of the characterization of that provider, and the almost non-existent quantitative allocation methodology on how much each provider received um, was a clear signal that the government just needed to get money into the system, and those of us observers from the outside knew, had to know, that the government knew that this was a very rough, very rough justice process, that they would later then go back and try to try to fix or refine after the fact.
1: So what we saw was a lot of balance sheets that were propped up during that period of time. And now we're in a situation where, Sam, as you said, the labor costs, labor shortages, inflation costs, just a lot of that is causing problems for a lot of the the providers um what are you seeing with respect to bankruptcies and and insolvencies and and issues that are cropping up as a result of where we are now
0: yeah i mean we're we you know the financial pressures on the american healthcare system particularly hospitals particularly skilled nursing facilities assisted living what daniel was referring to as care homes um we you know we, the the pressures are uh I think certainly in the in the three decades I've been working in this industry are uniquely difficult, right? There's, there was a recent article that said that California, 20% of California's hospitals are likely to fail this year, which is when when you think that we're the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world, that is saying something, um, and and so. You know, it like Daniel said in Germany, insolvencies. We're seeing healthcare insolvencies on the rise. Uh, some filing bankruptcy, some trying to resolve it out of court. Some lenders are being are, are trying to be patient to see if there's a turnaround coming before they foreclose or exercise their remedies. Um, but it does seem like we're on the precipice of uh, collapse in some sectors of the healthcare industry. When we're trying to talk about getting ready for this podcast and think about, well, you know, what issues are we seeing across the board nationally in the U.S.? Like you said, Kim, it really came out to focus on uh, four cases in the last three, four years, so just before the pandemic or during the pandemic, Um, and they all seem to focus on Medicare and Medicaid issues, which I guess isn't surprising because something you know a significant percentage kim i don't i don't know the exact but it's a significant percentage more than half of hospital stays are paid for by medicare or medicaid in the u.s do you you know the exact numbers lewis no yeah but it's it's a huge percentage i mean medicare and medicaid are the 800 pound gorillas in the industry in the u.s um
3: and Sam, well, it really depends on, I'm sorry, it depends on the sector, but like in the skilled nursing sector, Medicare and Medicaid together combined are probably 85 to 90% of the revenue of a provider. Hospitals, it's probably a little closer to 50 to 60%. But in, it really, um, in, in well in hospice, it's close to 100%. So um, depends on the sector, but it they're the 800 pound gorilla irrespective of the
0: sector. Right. So, so the, you know, we, we, we want to look at four cases that we think are instrumental. One is um, in Ray Benjamin, it's a Fifth Circuit decision out of 2019. So, outside of bankruptcy, if you have a legal dispute with the Medicare program, you have to exhaust their administrative remedies before the federal courts can take jurisdiction. This exhaustion of administrative remedies can take years. During which period the government can either shut off your payments or start recouping monies that they think you owe, whether it's been finally resolved or not, all of which puts tremendous financial pressure on the other party, on the, the non-government entity. In in um, and there is, you know, it's I don't want to go into great detail for the purposes of this podcast, but outside of bankruptcy, that jurisdictional bar is really insurmountable. Inside of bankruptcy now, because of the way the statute is written, it isn't at all clear that um, it isn't at all clear that um, bankruptcy courts can't take jurisdiction. So, in the important jurisdictions for bankruptcy cases in the U.S., which is the Ninth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit, which includes Houston, where a lot of cases are filed these days. And the Third Circuit, which includes Delaware, which has always been a historical hotbed for bankruptcy in the U.S., um, it is clear now that bankruptcy courts do not have to wait for the providers to uh, exhaust administrative remedies so that you can get a decision in a bankruptcy court, win, lose, or draw, at least you don't have to wait years for the decision. So I'm going to stop there and and see if Kim or Lewis want to add any context to that.
3: Uh, this is Lewis. What I'll just say is from a business and financial perspective um, and that of a, C, a chief restructuring officer, which I frequently serve as. There's really two things that the government does that could impact distressed healthcare providers that really need um, relief that the court can provide. One is when you're, when your license or certification is at risk, therefore your ability to continue to do business as a licensed provider is at risk. And while The issue um, driving that might have been in your rearview mirror and resolved. Um, Sometimes the government just doesn't care as a as a regulator. And we have a duty as advisors and D's and O's to a debtor to try to protect the ongoing institution and the value that that represents in order to either continue a nonprofit mission or to provide an avenue of financial recovery to our to our creditors. That's one issue. The other issue is the government can do the same thing with respect to wearing their hat as a payer. So they can stop paying you. They can they can initiate recoupment. The recoupment can either be a partial recoupment or a full recoupment. Obviously, a full recoupment um, is just detrimental to a healthcare organization, even ones that have other meaningful sources of non-governmental revenue. They just can't they can't not be um, paid by the by the government. So. We often, when facing those, we need the kind of help and relief that that Sam and his team can bring inside of a bankruptcy court um, to to pursue some remedies to allow a provider to continue to operate under its license and get paid under its provider agreements. Uh, does, does restructuring uh, in insolvency
2: or part- in particular in, in uh, as a data and possession proceeding also maybe do good to, to some some of these uh, hospitals. In Germany we have, for example, now a general policy announced by our federal uh, healthcare minister that, that they want to change the mixture of the hospitals that we have big university clinics in places like Heidelberg or Frankfurt, um, and then we have rural, really small medic centers. And then we have some in between uh, hospitals which are serving more regional needs and which are should also be more specialized depending on, on what you need in regions. And this needs, uh, this shows that hospitals have to downsize a lot of them in Germany and have to close homes and, and places. And in case they close them, they will see a big clawback also from uh, from financing they have received from the the German states uh, because they no longer use the the, 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 the real estate which was funded by a state. Um, And so when you take such hospitals partially in in a debt in possession proceeding, you can then really mitigate these effects of, of, of partial closure and still can keep the company with something we call insolvence plan. It's like chapter 11 in the US, we can then survive it. So if you, if you, what I want to say, if you use data possession insolvency smartly and in time, it could also help uh, to, to reorganize the hospital sector. In Germany we have, so we have too many hospitals, not enough specialized hospitals and therefore they're making losses. This is one of one part of the story. So my question is uh they you also would see some benefits from, from 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 let's say guided insolvencies.
0: Yeah absolutely I mean what one of the, the <clears throat> in all of the four things we're gonna the one we just described and the other four i, I mean in all of these instances, bankruptcy courts in the U.S. are providing remedies which are just not available to these healthcare providers outside of bankruptcy. You know, okay. it, the bankruptcy laws are giving um, leverage to the provider, the hospital, or skilled nursing facility owner or, or to either craft a settlement with the government or just get a ruling that allows them to survive in a way that, that they just couldn't do outside of the bankruptcy proceeding, Daniel, in mm-hmm. the U.S. So the next one is, uh, you know, there's there's an agreement between Medicare and Medicaid and hospitals or skilled nursing homes. It's called a provider agreement outside of bankruptcy. The government argues it is not a contract uh, with uniform success inside of bankruptcy. They have argued for at least the three decades I've been following the process uh, that it is a contract. There is absolutely no reason in bankruptcy law why a document which is not a contract outside of bankruptcy should become a contract inside of bankruptcy. Quite to the contrary, uh, that you know, the general rule in bankruptcy is outside of bankruptcy property laws control. So um they've literally gotten away with it because the because people don't understand the issues. Uh, we recently litigated this in 2019 in a case called Verity Health Systems of California and got a really precedential ruling from the bankruptcy judge holding that these provider agreements are not contracts, which means I can sell them without successor liability, which is a huge improvement because outside of bankruptcy, I have to sell them with successor liability, which means the buyer takes the relationship but also take some you know, unknown liabilities created by the seller. Uh, so a huge, important ruling uh, in the last four years in this space. And I'll stop there and let Lewis and Kim comment.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Sam, that's a huge um, advantage for anybody who's restructuring or for a buyer of a hospital, particularly when you're dealing with some of the rural um, rural hospitals. And they they just can't absorb that kind of success or liability. So it gives them certainty. It allows them financially to be able to plan uh, and, and have that taken off the table. It's significant.
3: Yeah, these these most recent decisions are huge, not only for that reason, but also the fact that the bankruptcy court has now been successfully used a few times to turn back on payments during a bankruptcy process to allow for an orderly uh, resolution um, of, a, of a healthcare care uh, distressed debtor is huge. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this not quite as long as Sam, but pretty close. And these cases that have just come down are the first. And we've been we've been itching for these types of uh, those of us who do debtor side work primarily have been itching for these to come down for a long time.
0: Yeah, let me let me follow up on Lewis's point because those are two cases that are currently pending that Ancora and Dentons are working together on. Uh, one's called Borrego Community Health Foundation in San Diego, California. The other's Curatech, which is in Houston, Texas. Uh, in both cases, the providers were accused of fraud. And the government's response in Borrego, it was the state government, in Curatech, it was the federal government. But in both cases, the government's response to allegations of fraud was to just turn off the payments, and, and, and that would have killed both companies, which were heavily dependent on government payments. I mean, in CureTech, I think the payment stream was 90% of their income for Medicare, and in um, Borrego, it, the, the state government represented... of the stream of payments. So in both cases, the turnoff of monies, because of an allegation of fraud, um, would have been a death knell, a death sentence for the provider. In both cases, we were able to file a Chapter 11 case in two different jurisdictions in two different circuits, and get the bankruptcy court to rule, well, I'm sorry, in Borrego, the bankruptcy court ruled that the state government was simply wrong and it stopped the state government's suspension of payments, it held that it was a violation of bankruptcy law to suspend the payments where there was no ongoing evidence of ongoing fraud, right? Um, In Curatech, the federal government didn't even wait for the court to rule. We were able to get a settlement agreement in a couple weeks because they didn't even want to go in front of the bankruptcy judge knowing that they were not going to do well under the circumstances. So, you know, in both those cases, we were able, Curatech in Houston, Borrego Community Health Foundation in San Diego, both of which are currently pending, we were able to get the money turned back on to allow the company to survive while it negotiated. Uh, in Borrego, we have negotiated a settlement. In uh, Curatech, we're negotiating a global settlement, but we have negotiated a temporary settlement uh, to keep the companies alive while, while they're working out the issues with the government. So I'll stop there and see if Kim or Lewis want to add.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's important to make sure that the provider can continue. But at the end of the day, this is about being able to provide care to patients. And so what you're doing is allowing those providers to continue operating so that those patients that need care are able to access it.
3: Yeah, not only need care and continue to access it, but it's important for the debtor to finish discharging its fiduciary duties to its broad stakeholders to keep its business running. And if there's value left in their business, to be able to tap that for the benefit of legitimate creditors.
1: Sam, these cases are in particular... um, jurisdictions. Do you think this will be able to be used more broadly throughout the country as we see that these types of situations
0: occurring? I do. I know that uh, Verity decisions um, have already been uh, raised in cases in Delaware and New York. Um, and and I do, you know, we've gotten, a, we've seen articles written by other law firms about the Borrego Uh, Because this, uh, you know, as Daniel talked about, there's these allegations of fraud in Germany, there's similar allegations of fraud here. And and honestly, what the government does is um, it it shoots first and aims later. And that means there's going to be a lot of allegations of fraud with efforts to turn off the payment stream, um, leaving the providers without the resources to fight to prove their innocence. If they're innocent, so I, I mean, I think these these two rulings are um, are going to be important precedent, and we're and we are seeing people around the country pick up on them. So I, I mean, I know we're we're sort of out of time. There's um, I, I'll I'll just uh, I'll just say I think we're these issues are going to be more important, given the financial difficulties facing the systems both in europe and in the united states over the coming two 18 months to two years uh, because i do think we're going to see increased pressures both outside of the federal government just through inflation or labor costs um and obviously from both the you know european governments and the united states government seeking to figure out what it where the money had pushed out during the pandemic went um it's just gonna make these these pressures even harder. So I I, Lewis, do you have anything you want to add to wrap up?
3: Look, I'll wrap up by also saying um, hopefully what we'll see come out of this is the government's willingness to be more reasonable on pre-petition negotiations if they know that debtors have um, more more tools in bankruptcy. So so this may play out in the favor of a reorganizing Distressed healthcare debtor, both in court, as well as um, softening up the government's position in negotiating better consensual arrangements on the front end. So I'm I'm looking forward, and I I just want to thank Sam. Sam's been um, Sam's been pushing on this issue for at least a couple of decades that I've been in and around him, and it's been a very consistent message on his part, and uh, he's been looking for cases where he can actually demonstrate this. And luckily, I think luckily for those of us who practice in this, in this space, have been able to get some, some, um, some positive decisions. So Sam, as a,
0: as, as a restructuring colleague, thank you so much. It's very kind of you. Kim, Kim, anything you want to say to wrap up here?
1: No, I agree with everything Lewis said. Um, Sam, I think these these decisions have been significant in this space, and um, you know it'd be nice to see the government and providers more in a partnership, working together um, versus kind of this adversarial position that we see sometimes. So I think these um, have had a huge impact.
0: So and Daniel, anything? well, I, I I can only
2: uh, agree, like you agreed. Uh, with our description from from, from from the european side that we 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 see the same situation here in germany
0: all right well listen thank you everyone and i look forward to us talking again on these issues